today I have another amazing special guest. We have Jared Smith uh, of Bob Gibson High School. Uh, let me, oh, I apologize. Bob Gibson, right? Bob Jones. Bob Jones. Ah, so sorry. <laughs> Bob Jones High School Baseball. Uh, Jared, I appreciate you so much for coming on. Um, and if you wouldn't mind, if you could give a little bit uh, about uh, a background about yourself uh, and what you do. Yeah, my name is Jared Smith. I'm the head baseball coach here at Bob Jones High School. We're a uh, 7A school in Madison, Alabama. You know, we got about uh, 1,900, 2,000 kids, 9 through 12. Uh, this is my, I believe, 14th year coaching. It's my seventh year at this high school. So, uh, started in Tuscaloosa, Alabama at a, a high school there. I was assistant for five years. I uh, went to South Alabama to Dothan High School for he as a head coach for two years. And then now I'm in North Alabama. So kind of been all over the state of Alabama. Uh, like I said, I've been coaching for 13, 14 years now. My dad's also a high school baseball coach in the state. So that's kind of how I, you know, I guess got started or wanted to be a, a, a coach, a baseball coach. So he's been a coach for uh, close to 20 years in the state of Alabama. We get to play, you know, in, in during season, so that's cool too. So, uh, but yeah, that's kind of some background. I teach math during the day, and then uh, you know we have baseball kind of intertwined in that during the day, school day, and then after school we're able to do our stuff too. But uh, yeah, so it, it's been a good career about halfway through 25 years, I guess. So uh, so far, so good. That's awesome. Uh, what kind of got you down the idea of you wanting to coach? Uh, that's not something that all players really necessarily try and go to right after a career and everything like that. What kind of brought you down that path of wanting to do what you do? Yeah, well, first, uh, my career, it, was, it, it ended pretty quickly. I, I was a decent high school player, but I, you know, I knew early on I was undersized in college baseball, big time, being a big time college, that wasn't going to be in the card. So, uh, but I wanted to be around the game. I always loved the game or was always interested in all the different aspects and uh, uh, parts of it. So I wanted to stay in baseball. I just didn't know how uh, at the time. And then, like I said, my dad was a coach. So, I, you know, probably 10th or 11th grade. I, I, I really liked math. But then I went to like an engineering, uh, you know, like thing at a college and I hated it. I was like, this is boring. I, you know, nothing against those guys. I just didn't want to do that the rest of my life. So then I decided, well, I'll, I'll teach math and, uh, you know, be able to do that, which I love numbers. And then I can still coach baseball. And, uh, you know, at the time, really, though, I played basketball in high school, too, surprisingly. Uh, uh, but um, so I wanted to really coach baseball or basketball. And it was kind of funny how it worked out. I was had a job lined up out of college. I was going to be a basketball uh, assistant and then a uh, football assistant because you ha basically have to do football in Alabama if you're going to, you know, start out coaching so you, ha you have to do that whether you want to or not basically uh so anyway i was gonna do basketball and that fell through at the last minute and you know funny how things happen and then uh got another job and they needed a baseball assistant so i went that route and uh you know it's uh it's been awesome ever since so uh yeah but it, i was almost i guess a basketball coach i don't know if that'd have been a good one but i was i almost went that route for sure that is crazy how some things uh turn uh, out um i've had uh like i was mentioning i uh, had chad on um, he actually got approached. It was either him or his dad in the uh, local post office. Uh, they approached them, at, uh, just want to work with some guys like grandkids or something like that. And that's really? how he got started. Another gentleman, uh, John Lampros uh, of 2-5 Baseball, yeah. um, he actually got started. He uh, posted an ad on uh, Craigslist. 
Uh, and that wow. was like one of his first guys. So like just the fact that you almost actually uh, were doing basketball and football, uh, not, not even yeah. entering the baseball. That to me is the special part about uh, what a lot of us have in common, like why we do it. Yeah. Uh, but how we get there is so different and so crazy and I absolutely love it. Um, if you wouldn't mind running into how I came across, uh, your Twitter was actually a video of you guys practicing, uh, with how you yeah. set up your practice in the cage it really enticed me. I love group, uh, uh, work. I love trying to put together a practice plan and try and be the most efficient with doing that kind of stuff. If you wouldn't mind just kind of running through, uh, the practice that you guys were doing there and normal other practices yeah. that you guys do, that'd be amazing. Yeah. Uh, so, um, you know, I was, as I was telling you before we began the podcast, we're limited within our rules, uh, you know, in the state of Alabama that everyone is. Now our rules are we get two hours per week, uh, for 10 weeks in the fall. So, well, we have 60 players, 9 through 12. We have three teams of RCJV JV, and freshmen. And when you start working with one kid, the clock starts ticking. So we had to be real strategic on as a coaching staff. How are we going to best use two hours per week? And we, you know, we decide, you know, do we want to go scrimmage for two hours? Well, that's 60 guys. You may get two or three at bats. Maybe if we, we've got two fields and we didn't really have the coaches to do that. And we probably didn't have the, um, you know, we didn't think the kids were going to get enough reps to be worth it in the fall, you know? So, um, so we made some decision, our coaching staff met and we said, let's do all 60 of those guys. And this started, this rule was new to Alabama about three years ago. So we're, it's kind of trial and error for everybody in the state. There's not really, you call somebody and see what they do. Everyone does something different. And, uh, you know, everybody's just trying to figure out the best way to use two hours. Cause that's, that's not a lot of time in a whole week. So, uh, anyway, so we decided let's, put them through some stations, you know, some skill work. Cause in the fall we try to kill the weight room, uh, bat speed training, you know, uh, throwing as hard as we can throw, you know, hitting as hard as we can hit speed training. I mean, all of that stuff we develop in the fall where in the spring we can just kind of maintain that and, and hopefully, uh, you know, carry over what we did into the season and, and that kind of thing. So, so anyway, long story short, that's kind of how it came about. So we, we got together and, um, so we divide our kids into four groups. We have two infield groups, two outfield groups, you know, primarily a varsity group and a JV freshman group in each uh, group. Uh, if they're a dual guy, we kind of swap them, uh, you know, every other week or so. Uh, and then we just came up with what we thought was important. So we, we, we developed four stations. So we have an in, in, we're, we're blessed with an indoor hitting facility and outdoor hitting facility. Uh, we also have a turf infield and, and on our regular field. So uh, we decided to do a, inside indoor hitting station uh we have four cages there an outdoor hitting station with four cages and then put two defensive stations on the uh on the game field which yeah, we did the infield on the turf artificial turf and the outfield in the outfield uh so we divide them into four anywhere from 12 to 14 15 guys depending on how many kids are there that day if they you know you have kids with sickness or appointments or whatever um and we have four coaches that we only have four so we can do you can do this you know uh, Hopefully some high school coaches will listen to this. We only have four coaches in the fall. One coach is football, and we're kind of shorthanded. Uh, so we do it with four coaches. I run the inside hitting. Uh, our freshman coach runs the outside hitting. Uh, coach Caleb Rogers are, runs our infield, and then our pitching coach, Hunter Smethers, runs the outfield. Uh, so, so we have those four stations, and then we just divided those up into what we wanted to accomplish, you know, in, in whatever aspect. So uh, the outdoor cage is pretty simple. You know, th there wasn't a video on that, but – 
that's our we use our axe bats and our driveline uh you know bat speed program so the outdoor cages we have four cages and we'll put three kids in a cage uh and they're doing you know whatever drills you want to do with those but you know hook them drill or step backs or walking wind you know or not walking wind ups uh walking uh and hit the ball you know all those different drills in the outdoor cages but with the overload bat the underload bat regular bat uh long bat short bat so we use all those axe bats the driveline uh, you know, in the axe bat program, you know, that they use. And, uh, so those kids go through those stations. It's a 30 minute station, um, for each station. So we have the four stations, but they do two a day. So two on Monday and two on Wednesday. Uh, so we do an hour on Monday, an hour on Wednesday because we lift after that. So we don't want to, um, you know, do two hours and then lift. So we do an hour and then lift. Uh, so it's a 30 minute station. So they'll do that driveline axe bat program for about 30 minutes, uh, once a week. Uh, and then when they finish that station, uh, they go to infield or outfield defense. So our infield uh, defense, we have, we're blessed. We have a fungo man uh, and we have a hack attack. We have two hack attacks. We use one inside. We use one outside. Uh, we have a spin ball that we added this year. So we have a lot of resources other than coaches because we're short on coaches, but the machines honestly are another coach because we can use a pitcher only or an injured kid to feed the machine. Um, so, um, so our, we use a fungo man on the uh, outfield usually, and we'll use a hack attack and one coach on the infield. Uh, and they're just going through all the drills and different, uh, you know, we, uh, Kai Correa, I know you've probably heard of him, the big uh, defensive guy. I think he's with the Giants now, and he's awesome. And, you know, we've got all his, uh, you know, what this hack attack needs to be on to work on a, a backspin ground ball or, or, you know, a top spin ground ball or a hook ball righty or a hook ball lefty. So our guy has all those, and he's just running through those different balls. And our kids hate it because the ball is top spinning like crazy. You know, they want them all backspin perfectly every time. Well, you know, Kai's went through those numbers and said, you know, that's not realistic. You know, so you're getting this many balls that are top spun. And, and I have a really good third baseman uh, going to be an SEC guy. And the first day he said, Coach, I don't get those balls. And I said, well, I'm going to show you what Kai Correa says that the major league guys get. So I show him, and he's like, well, Okay, I guess see he thought he was only getting these perfect balls and that's how he wanted to train and we're we're totally against that in terms of training easy. We try to I mean not beat them down, but we want them to be pushed and fail and practice so the games are easier in whatever we're doing. So we I mean it's some funky spin on these balls and and our and our guys coaching them up on that. So that's the infield station and then our outfield the same deal. I mean they're working on every possible spin a ball, spun ball, however high our coach can throw it and however far and, and, and ground balls and all that. So that's a good 30-minute station each, and they'll do one defense and one offense. Now, the, the one that's most popular on Twitter and the one you saw is probably our infield state or our indoor hitting station, which I do. And, that, of course, that's my favorite. I love hitting. So, uh, so we run four stations there. Um, we have a hack attack. We do velo work nearly every day that we hit. And once again, our kids hate that. We'll have it on. I turn it up as high as it'll go and not hit somebody, you know. So uh, we have it 90 plus nearly every day we hit year round. Uh, if we're hitting, it's 90 plus off the hack attack. Uh, so we got the cage one, we have a rap soto uh, hitting. So we have that. Uh, we have our hack attack set up on 90 miles an hour. We'll move the plate up or back. Uh, depending on what we're trying to accomplish, if we want to increase the speed. We've found for us, you know, maybe some other coaches can chime in at some point. If we turn it over about 85, 86, it'll start getting a little crazy and our kids get a little uh, a little gun shy in there, so we don't get as good of a rep. So, but we found if we put it at 85, it'll be pretty consistent. So we've just moved the plate up to 51 feet 
typically, which, you know, represents about 92, 93 uh, on the chart. So we, we that's what we typically train at. Uh, but our kids know. And like I said, it takes a while for them to understand because they're used to being so successful. They're not used to going in there and hitting one out of five balls off a machine. They think they should hit everyone hard, which is not realistic if you're training, in my mind, how you should train. Um, so anyway, so we have the rap soto set up on that. you got to hit a ball 92 plus to get on the board. Our, we have a whiteboard and kids run it themselves. They ride it if they hit over 92. Um if they don't, they don't. Uh, and then I'll pull that data. I was pulling some today of all our rep soda data for all 60 of our guys. Uh, you know, max exit below, average exit below, that kind of stuff. So that's cage one. Uh, cage two, uh, we, we have a spin ball this year, one of the spin ball machines with the iPad. I don't know if you've seen one of those in person, but they're incredible. Because um, we were used to with a hack attack, you set it on one pitch and you basically have to, you know, let that go or, hey, it's curveball, and then I change it for however long. Um and then we, we got smart last year, or we thought we were smart, and we put two machines I saw on Twitter right beside each other, and my guy would hold up a ball, which is great. But they can they know the right machine's a fastball and second left machine's a curveball. So they can figure that out. Now, it's not easy, uh, but the spin ball, it will make those adjustments instantly. I'll tell you, and they're expensive. But if I left somewhere, new job, and had nothing, I would buy that first. I mean, I don't know how many people can buy one, but it's incredible because you can set it on whatever pitcher you want uh, from 55 miles an hour to 95, I think. And then you can pick up to like 10 preloaded pitches. You know, of course, we use fastball, slider, curve, and changeup primarily. But it has, you know, I mean, it has knuckleball, whatever. I mean, cutters, uh, all this kind of stuff, four seam, fastball, two seam. Uh, all this, the different pitches you want. We usually do two to three, uh, and it will change instantly within five seconds. And we typically do two-strike approach out of it. We were pretty uh, bad with two strikes last year, and we're not an old-school choke up and hit a ground ball to second. That's not our philosophy, but we're also struck out too many times compared to what we struck out when we were really successful a couple years ago. And then I compared to um, you know successful colleges and what they did. Uh, and their strikeout rates and still able to hit for power and those kind of things. So anyway, we do mostly two strike on that. Uh, but those machines, that would be my number one rate. If you can afford it uh, in a training facility or high school, I mean, it's incredible. The kids hate it because, once again, it's throwing fastball, curveball, change up, and they don't know what's coming, and you can't tell. Uh, so it's you're getting live at bats every day, which everybody wants to do, but nobody can throw a pitcher out there every day because you just can't do that. You don't have arms to do that. Uh, so our kids are getting, we feel like, live at bats daily. And we just got this machine this year, and I think it's going to pay huge dividends for us in, in, in the long run. So that's our cage two. Um, cage three and four, they kind of all, those two stay the same weekly. We just adjust. Is it a righty or lefty? We move our machine whichever way. Uh, we'll, we'll adjust the height of the machine. We have some uh, tall poles and short the regular poles so we adjust the the angle that's coming down based off the pitcher if you have a five nine guy or six six guy uh so we adjust those on the machine uh, but that that pretty much stays you know constant weekly just the velocity changes like next week maybe a slow lefty 80 miles an hour 75 with a change up and the next week week maybe 95 righty off the the spin ball so those but the same idea uh the third and fourth cages we kind of rotate that around we typically always have the blast sensors, and I would recommend everybody. That's a cheap way to get in. We 
we only have two sensors. So, um, and I think two's good if you're going to have one coach doing it. Some schools have every kid with a sensor. We just don't do that because they, you know, it would be great, I guess, but it, it's slightly expensive if you bought everyone a sensor. And then you're depending on the kids a lot to, to make sure they're doing what they're supposed to do and they're 15 to 18 years old. So I, I like to kind of, I guess, manage it a little better than that. So we put it on their bat and we have the iPad there and I have my coach account and they know how to click on their name. Um, and they know how to click on their bat and the sensor they're using. And that data just rolling. And, and once I coach it up for a week or so, I can kind of bounce around in the cages. And they know how to flip it. And they know, I mean, we look at the main three, of course, playing connection and rotation scores. And those kids know now, I mean, at the beginning, we talk about what those are and what increases or decreases those different scores. And, of course, there's a lot of data that goes into each score. Uh But our kids now know which one to click on. You know, if my playing score is bad, you know, we try – we call it triple green. If you're familiar with blast, if you're hitting, you know, out of 2080 scale, 60 to 80 is green, 40 to 60 yellow, below that's red. And our guys' goal, our goal is to get triple green on those compared to everybody in the country who's hit with a blast. Uh, so they know when they're they're getting in yellow or red in one, they'll click on it and see is it bat speed, you know, is it um, my my plane score, is it my connection score, or what am I, you know. Uh, pre-connection or what may it be so that's our third cage most always now sometimes we look at all the the categories sometimes we just look at something specific like last week we only did bat speed and i only had bat speed on it and i said i want you to swing as hard as you humanly possibly can swing the bat and if you start to drop if you drop twice in bat speed you're done next guy up you know so and so that kind of coaches itself and then the fourth cage um we we that rotates as well usually that's an exit velocity cage and uh we'll have a we've got a little small board that uh we bought i think from pocket radar uh we have a pocket radar we have three of those but we just take one in there we hook it to the board uh we put the radar on constant uh you know continuous uh reading mode and those kids just hit and they see their score and you know i can see i can be three cages over and see it i don't have to hold the radar gun uh and they do that typically that's that's pretty uh, typical day in the fall uh, and then we'll measure the exit velo and count it as, you know, their records and all that probably once every three weeks. We don't do it weekly. So like yesterday, it didn't count for them, but they still did it. So kids, like a kid said, I hit 90 coaches that count. I said, no, because we didn't measure everybody. So, uh, but if everybody get measured, gets measured, we'll count it and I'll write them all down or a kid will write them down and we'll input it into our uh, database and, and kind of go from there. So that's, uh, that's kind of the typical in the fall. Uh, in spring, the inside, I'll say, you know, the inside cages are basically going to be the same format if we're forced inside. But, of course, in a regular practice, you know, you get into the team stuff where, you you know, bunt defenses, first and third, rundowns, or BP on the field, and those kind of things. But but that's a good rundown of our fall. You know, before I move into end season or stuff like that, you know, I'll let you kind of chime in. I know uh, I talked for a while, but that's kind of how we run it. It's twice a week for an hour, but you can do it with limited coaches and – you know, and we didn't, and everybody, every time I tweet something, people say, oh, y'all got so much money, it must be nice. Well, we didn't start with all this stuff. You know, I've been here seven years, and we didn't have any of this. Uh, you know, we had old pitching machines that I've sold, but I bought a pitching machine the first year, and I bought a pitching machine the next year, and I bought a rap soda the next year, a rap soda pitching, then rap soda hitting. You got to start somewhere. If that's a $100 blast sensor, I mean, that's what you start with, and you just keep working. Uh, or a radar, pocket radar, you can get for a couple hundred bucks. So, you know, er, people want to joke on how much stuff we have, but, you know, it didn't start that way. I didn't come into this job and, 
and had this all this equipment you know we we just buy a little bit every year and and now we've got so much tech into my office it's it's starting to overrun the office so we're gonna have to have build a tech closet which is a great problem to have but but <laughs> i would just tell anybody to start start wherever you can for sure no i i love every second of it um so far we have one question in the chat in your quick uh, rundown, I've written down about four or five more questions. So uh, I'm going to go yeah. to the chat question really quick. Uh, we are being asked, how many of your players are multi-sport athletes? A lot of coaches are starting to want guys to specialize in one sport once they get to high school. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Um, now, I'm not going to give the politically correct coaching answer on this probably where – you know, you see all these football coaches, and I love football. I coach football. I love going to the games. I, our team's about to be in the playoff. But you see all these posts every year around the draft time that these guys played. You know, these guys were multi-sport, and they're drafted. Well, they're multi-sport because they're the best athlete in the school, and they're drafted, you know, because they're the best athlete around. You know, so they play multi-sport. I'm not a, a huge believer that because you play multi-sports, it makes you a better athlete. I think typically at the high school level – now, my son, when he's five years old, I want him playing everything. But what, I think once you get to about the 10th grade, I think kids need to start picking. If, they, if they're only good at one sport, you know, we need to make some – I don't think playing another sport makes you better if you're not very good at either one of them personally. Now, we've had guys – we had a guy who went to Alabama to play baseball that was really good at baseball, really good at football. We had another guy the same way. So, a uh, guy at Mississippi State now that's playing baseball that played both. So, I think it takes a special athlete. I don't think just because you play two sports that benefits you once you get past the 10th grade personally. Now, I think it's great to be athletic before then. But, you know, I hear a lot of college coaches, oh, we love multi-sport athletes. But you also love the guy that throws 94 miles an hour if he just plays baseball. You really don't care. So uh, I think it depends on the need of the player. Some players need to train. Um, you know, we had a football player here that played baseball, went on to Ole Miss my first year. He played both sports. He was a better football player. And he was splitting time with both. Well, when he missed our whole fall and came back, he realized he got passed. And he made the decision to play football only, which was the right decision for him. He was a junior. Splitting time was hurting him at football and baseball. So I think, it number one, at the 10th, 11th, 12th grade level, it takes a superb athlete at our level of competition. At small schools, it's different, you know, of course. But at ours, it's very tough, first off. And I don't think, like I said, just – automatically because you go play if i take my whole team we play football i don't know if they're going to become all better baseball players personally um they may be tougher and there's some good aspects to that too now that all being said we only have one football we have one varsity guy that plays football um we have two freshmen that play basketball and this is out of 60 guys so we only have currently three guys in our entire program that play multi-sports now once again that's not because we don't encourage it or anything like that it's just at our level, the amount of time we're putting in the offseason as well as the football and the basketball program, it's so difficult once you get to high school at our level to go from one sport to one sport just playing the game. You never get to train. You never have an offseason. So our football guy, for example, he's in-season weight training now, and he's in-season football. Well, when football ends, it's nearly going to be baseball. He's going to have about four to six weeks where he's off season, but he really needs a break because he just played football for 12 weeks. So it's so tough. Basketball, football guys, they overlap. They never get to train. You know, they, they only get to do the games. And I just think that takes a superb athlete to do that. So um, 
you know, I'm not saying it can't be done, and I'm not an anti-sport guy at all. I love the the best guys we've ever had were multi-sports, but I multi-sport guys. But I think they were multi-sport guys because they were the best guys we ever had, and they were all state football, all state baseball. Uh, they could have played on bas- the basketball team if they wanted to. Uh, so I, I, the correlation and causation there, I, I'm not sure what does the dual sport cause them to be a great baseball player or they're just a great baseball player that can play another sport. So, um, you know, I kind of went around that answer, but we, we don't have many. Uh, we've had as many as five or six guys um, probably on the varsity, uh, and, and they're usually our best baseball players too, but they're really good football players and they're just athletes. Um, so, um, I think it depends on the kid if it's the best for them. Like I said, my kid's going to play multi-sports if he wants to until he's in high school, I think probably 10th grade year. I think I, that's my personal opinion when it gets where you need to make a decision because you're missing out. We, you know how the training is now in the off season for every sport, the weight training, the skill development, you just don't have time to do that because summer we, we have summer ball, basketball has summer ball, football is seven on seven. So you're just in competition mode year-round, and I just don't think that's best for most kids. Some kids, yes, but I think it's a lot fewer than most people think. I think that's an amazing answer because, like you said, what comes first? Is it being super athletic or is it the fact that you're a multi-athlete? I think a lot of the people that hang on to the idea that you have to be a two-sport athlete are the same ones that aren't really looking into the idea of, why there were so many multi-sport athletes back in the day is the off-season yeah. training wasn't as uh, uh, valued as much. And so if you weren't playing a sport, you're just kind of hanging out, hanging around. Whereas now, if you're not playing like football and you're a baseball player, like most of them are training. Most of them are lifting. Most of yeah. them are hitting. And yes, they're not in season doing a sport, but they're training like they are. They're still putting in the effort and the value of if they were. And so I think that's the little misconstrued sometimes of some people. Yeah. And I mean, you, you had, I mean, that was perfect the way you used to, like you said, you just played and then you play, you sat at home. If you didn't, there was no training. And now everybody has figured out we got to train. That's why if you look back, compare athletes from generation to generation, it's just incredible, you know, what's going on. So, um, so, uh, and, and how strong athletes are, how hard they throw and hit and, and football, I mean, same deal and basketball, the same deal. So yeah, I think the game, you know, the training's change. And, and then also I think the size of the school, once again, like my dad's at a three, a school and they're really good but most of their baseball kids play basketball and football. And if they don't play, they don't have this going on because my dad's got five or six kids. Well, he can't run, you know, what we're doing. So he, he really wants them to play. So they're doing something other than just sitting around because he's, he's coaching football and basketball and baseball anyway. So all the coaches are coaching other sports. So you might as well play the other sports. So I think it really depends on size of school, need of the player. I mean, if the player weighs 112 pounds and, you know, can't squat his body weight. I mean, you know, you probably need to get in the weight room. You may not even need to play baseball or or, or football or basketball. You probably need to get stronger first so you can, you know, those skills will will, will help you. So, uh, but, yeah, I think you added on perfectly why the game has kind of changed in the training. And I think the life of the dual sport athlete, it's going to keep dwindling. And, and, you know, all these college coaches, once again, say they love dual sport athletes. Well, how many college coaches let their kids play another sport in college? Like, why is that? Like, you want us to do it, but you say when they get to you, I mean, there's probably, I mean, I, I know none, I mean, I, that do that. There may be some, but you don't see football, baseball, because they, 
but we're training the same as they're training. So that's why we feel like, you know, it's not required. Uh, yeah, we love it like you love it, but you don't love it when they're missing your stuff and, and the football coaches don't love it when they're missing theirs. So that's where you got to kind of compromise, but we will never, you know, we'll work with every kid. And, and like I said, our best guys, we've got two playing at uh, Alabama now uh, that played football and baseball. Uh, we've got one at Mississippi state. So uh, that played both. Um, so we've got, our best guys did play both sports. So, uh, you know, but did that, what caused that? You know, that's where somebody else has got to figure that out. I love it. I love it. Um, to go on, another question that I had, the data that you guys are bringing in with the uh, low amount of coaches resources that you guys do have, how are you guys collecting that data? You said you guys do it on a three-week basis. Do you guys have one coach kind of just manning all screens and just type it into a Google sheet? Are you guys looking back at the Rapsodo and looking back at the cloud? How are you guys going about and doing all of your data collecting? Yeah, collecting, uh, number one, exit velo is easy. I mean, I just print out a spreadsheet, and whichever coach is around can collect that. They collect it all. I enter that into a Google Sheet that just keeps up. I, I mean, I'm a, a big numbers guy. I have every exit velocity we have from my first day here till now, so I can compare year to year. Did we increase, decrease? I have every max out from my first day here uh, until now. And, you know, we're comparing our guys now, and we're hitting harder than we did in 2019 when we made the finals. Does that mean we're going to be a better team? No, but we're where we need to be as far as, you know, that metric's concerned. I mean, our guy, our probably 12th weakest guy we were looking at the other day, senior, would be our strongest guy our first year. It's just how the game is, you know, in six, seven years of development with our guys, and that's probably anywhere, uh, you know, but we keep all those numbers. But exit below, you need a coach with a clipboard and entered in a Google Sheet. That's pretty simple. I just – keep clicking over dates and then we can see their PRs and all that kind of stuff. And just ha you, every coach, uh, every team probably has a coach on the staff. That's good with numbers. I, I imagine are good with sheets and can enter that in. Uh, if that's not your forte delegated, I love numbers. So I enter all the data for, for that and for our max outs and our, our um, exit velocity and throwing velocity, throwing velocity, our pitching coach, we do that during school. So if somebody's wondering when we, what about our throwing? We're allowed to throw during a PE block. So we throw during the school Monday, Wednesday, Friday uh, in the fall. Uh, so we do that as well. Our driveline throwing program with, you know, plyometric balls and all that kind of stuff. Uh, our pitching coach, we have four cages and we have four radar guns. We gather if we're doing pull down data on Friday, we'll gather that data, four clipboards, three coaches and a PO or a manager. Uh, they give that to our pitching coach. He enters it. He's great with that kind of stuff in numbers. Same as me uh, in terms of how he enters it. He enters it. He shoots it out to our kid in the group me. Our kids know all the time where they stand, 1 to 60. That's what I would recommend to show the kids where they stand. Uh, they're not surprised they're sitting on the bench when they're hitting 62 miles an hour as a senior and they're throwing 72. You know, they can see where they compare. Uh, you know, and there's other aspects to the game, of course. But gather the data, clipboard, spreadsheet, enter it in there entered in as you get it um i would say measure every two to three weeks i think more than that gets to uh, in the fall more than that kids lose motivation less than that i think it's too quick for them to show any improvements um so we do that with that the blast data it just goes into the cloud you know if you uh you know have the app or whatever so they're all online it goes in the cloud well today i just pulled all the blast data and now I can print out reports and whatever we're looking at, their average plane score, connection score, rotation score. I can pull bat speed. 
uh, I'll create goals that, you know, or Blast has already created goals. I'll print those out. Uh, all of our guys compared. So they know what to work on next time. But you don't have to gather any data there other than putting the sensor. Now you have to go into the app, and Blast is great about walking you through how to pull the data. Uh, I actually called them today because that issue with one kid swing didn't upload. But you just pull that data, and, you know, you can tell who's your best guys in playing connection rotation or bat speed or whatever. Uh, Rap Soto, same deal. It goes into the cloud. You just upload the iPad daily to the cloud after we hit. Um, today I was working on pulling reports with that, which, you know, all the tech stuff, Blast and Rap Soto especially, it depends on how deep in the weeds you want to get. There's so much stuff you can get when you print a report. Uh, it's incredible. So I would recommend if you're starting out, um, you know, start. When I started out, I picked one or two things, and that's all I looked at. And then, you know, maybe bat speed. That's probably what I look at first. And then go from there. And then Rap Soto, I would look at average exit velocity, um, you know, maybe distance. Max exit velocity sometimes skewed because I'll hit one ball hard, you know, out of 20. So I, I don't use that a lot. But then that data all pulls. You can print, print individual reports that shows where they hit the ball, their heat zones or cold zones, all that kind of stuff. Um, and really how much information you want to give to the kids. We try to pick certain things to give to them at certain times instead of print out rap soda reports three or four pages they'll probably look at it and look it over and there's probably going to be two percent of the kids that really are going to dive into it like we are uh so i just find certain things uh the other day i gave them something about two strike only uh their two strike report from last season and i just gave them that their average ops and their strikeout percentage in season last year on any level they played at and I told them, I've got 60 kids. I don't have time to go through every one of these. Here's yours. Come talk to me about what you see. Now, but I, I've already looked at them. I just haven't went through every kid and said, here's what you need to do. But here's your average. Here's our goal. I also put our three best guys from last year. We had an All-American. They were all All-State. Here are their numbers. So they can see somebody that they know, not, hey, our goal is 250 or 350 or our strikeout percent is 30%. They can look at the best hitter we've ever had Here's what he did. Okay, well, now I have a, a benchmark of what I'm trying to accomplish or get to, and it's much more real to those guys in that aspect. So you don't need many coaches. I mean, I'll tell you, we use kids all the time. There's always somebody injured in every program that I've ever been at who's just sitting around anyways. Give them a clipboard and a pencil and a radar gun. If you have a manager, we have one manager. He's outstanding. Uh, he does all of our tech work. He's going to go into college and be a great manager. He sets it all up a lot of the time. So you can do it you got to put some stuff on your kids. They know how to set it up. They set up the stations because all my other coaches are teaching until 3.30, and we start at 4 o'clock uh, in the fall. So they know when the bell rings at 3.27, change, get them all set up. They set up all the stations. So you put that on them. Have your clipboards printed out. Be prepared and organized. I send out in the group me every Monday and Wednesday our, our plan for the day in terms of the cages and where they go, what they need set up, and our kids do it. And if they don't do it, you know, we address that. But – they're pretty good about getting what we need set up. But the data collection, get your radar gun, start with that. That can give you exit below, throw in below, wrap soto and, and blast if you get into that. There's nothing to enter. It just prints it out now uh, or, or inputs it. Now, on all this, now what I do too, I'll give a shout out. to. There's this company called Skillshark. They're a pretty small company. They're out of um, Canada, I think, because that's where I send the payment. But I think it's about 
it's three hundred dollars for us for seventy five kids uh, subscription a year. So I pay three hundred for our baseball. But you can set up and, and however you want to, and it scores the kids not just an average. Like we do max out, throw one below, exit velocity, and speed. That's the four categories we've determined that we think are most important. Everybody has what they think is important in their program. Well, it ranks them. You enter all their scores on max out day, which we, like I said, we do. We do all. I only enter that uh, every nine weeks. Uh, all the data in the program because we only max out every nine weeks but it will rank them from one to 60 in every category for us or one to 20 if you have 20 kids uh and it combines those four and their system how they figure out the numbers it's not just one two three and they average those up it's based off how close your number is to the average and then how far you are from like the minimum and maximum like it's the math's over my head a little bit i'm a math guy but it's, it's a lot better than just going, well, he's the first guy here and the first guy, and it figures all that out. Because a guy may be very fast, but, you know, and that may skew the data if you don't use it like this. Um, and then we rank our kids 1 to 60. I send it out. And what, right now we have 26 varsity players, and 25 of those are top 25. So it confirms what we thought from a game standpoint anyways when we made cuts and decisions. There's one kid on the JV. His metrics – uh, should be on varsity, which I told this kid that if you look in the data, but he hasn't done it in a game yet. So we're waiting on him to do that. But, you know, it's great for coaches, especially if you're making tough decisions on to cut or keep a kid uh, or varsity JV freshman. I would highly recommend that. It's like I said, 300 bucks. You enter what you want to enter and it will rank them. You can print individual reports. So I print an individual report for every kid uh, twice uh, a fall and it tells you their average. Uh, or their metric, whatever their exit below is, 90. It tells you the program average. Let's say it's 88. It tells you their rank from 1 to 60 uh, or how many other kids you have in all categories. They, I give it to them. We go over it for about two to five minutes, uh, talk about what they need to improve on the most, uh, and then we kind of go from there. So I think that, you know, I'll, I'll give another shout-out to them. Skillshark, uh, you can Google it and find it, but it's a great – it's just basically – uh, a Google sheet on crack, you know, that does all this stuff for you uh, other than just entering it in, um, you know, and then you trying to calculate, you know, all this data. So that's outstanding. We love it. Well, shoot. They just might have got another client with that referral. You might need <laughs> to get your own code because I've got a leaderboard right over here that uh, for all I work with about uh, 20 of guys on my own. Um, it has exit velocity, average, max, distance, average, max, bat speed, average, max, rotation, uh, rotational acceleration, average, and max. Uh, and I do that every week where I update the leaderboard so that oh, way yeah. you guys can see themselves, how much they increased from last week, how much they've increased from week one. And then after every six weeks, I uh, reward a winner oh, yeah. and they get a free piece of my merch. Uh, they, nice. They, uh, they just might got another new client with that little shout out well, that you just well, did. Well, tell tell him I sent you, and then he'll do you a trial and walk you through it because it's a little overwhelming at first. But let's say you want to do just an offensive, uh, you know, ranking system. So you would put in those categories: exit below average, all the things you just said, and it's going to rank them instead of you. I've got a whiteboard just like you, and there, there's time for that too. But it's going to rank them in all of those. So you right now, it would spit out your best hitter. With it, instead of you looking at the board and saying, well, this guy was our top guy here, this guy was top here, it's going to rank them from 1 to 20, and it's going to, it puts them in green, yellow, and red based off where they stand. And you can print that off. And, you know, 
if you leave it on the whiteboard, they may look at it and see, well, I think I'm hitting less than these guys. But they, you print it out and it says, man, you're 20 out of 20. Like, we got to do something. You got to you got to move up the ladder. And I always tell our kids, are you passing anybody? You rank 20th now. Where are you going to rank in six weeks? So is it still 20? Is it 15? And we, we reward those guys. So, yeah, call that guy up. Uh, and you can enter any data you want to. Uh, we like I said, that's the four we do. We do like I said, a hitting, a pitching, a, a lifting, and a speed metric. But you can put as many as you want to, uh, and it's based off how many kids you have. I think what you pay. But he'll do a trial with you. I, we saw him at ABCA and um, went in Dallas. Yeah, it was in Dallas a couple of years ago. I think was it in Dallas. Uh, anyway, ABCA a couple of years ago. We walked by and we loved the system because it was just took the sheet or what we were trying to figure out and what you're trying to figure out. It took it and made it easier for us. And it made the numbers easier for the kids to see. Uh, and we talked to the guy about it. And we, you know, he was great about it. And he was really, I think, trying to get it going. I think his game, name's Neil. Neil. Uh, and he uh, was trying to get it going and all that. And we started using it. And uh, we, like I so said, we only use it probably two to three times a year. You would use it more because, you know, you're just looking at that offense. You could do it every, you know, two weeks, whenever. Uh, but I do it when we max outs when I do that. But yeah, give it a shot, man. I think you'll, I think you'll enjoy it. And I think, uh, once you figure it out, I just love – I'm a numbers guy, man, and I love how it calculates it. And, and like I said, it figures out, you know, where you stand. And they'll get a rating based off, you know, how far – I forgot. He told me how he does it, but it's something off the average. I think it's like a nominal scoring system. Instead of just ranking 1 to 60, 1 to 60, 1 to 60, they get actual score. It may be 58.2, which is, you know, something – based off the average and the men and the max. And uh, he'll explain that to you. But I, I just know it spits them out where I want them and easy to see for the kids. Hey, there we go. That's what we're looking for, baby, especially in this world <laughs> when you're rocking with 60 guys. You only got so much time oh, yeah. to really be doing stuff. Um, let me – I've got a few more questions uh, that just yeah. – they just keep coming up. Uh, the more you chat, the oh, more yeah. I get intrigued. <laughs> and so I'm really excited – uh, I don't know when I know we've uh, scheduled it for a uh, uh, 90 minute session. I don't know what you have after, but we might have to do a part two or something. I don't know. Cause I've got a full <laughs> yeah. list right here. I know I started talking. I looked at three o'clock. I'm, I'm good until about three, uh, probably three forty-five. Uh, uh, I should be good until then. So we'll see. I got a hitting lesson at, uh, you know, at four o'clock. So I think I'm good to about three forty-five. So. Let's, Let's keep go, rolling. baby. Uh, so my next question, you've brought up some amazing things and uh, little like not trigger words, but words that I love to hear. Uh, kind of you mentioned the, the ownership of players knowing uh, how to set up drills, knowing how to go through, set up the blast motion on their own. That's something that uh, not nor is normal, I don't think, at the high school level unless it's shown and instilled in them into that type of program. It takes a special type of culture for coaches and also older players to be able to kind of inflict that upon. How have you guys been able to get that type of culture in your guys' program to know that, hey, you know, we've got one coach manning uh, what would be like 15 kids, uh, but we know that that one kid over there, every single time they come up to Blast Motion, we know that they're doing it the right way. How have you guys gone about and been able to do that? Yeah, I mean, first off, of course it takes time to develop any culture, how you, what you find important and what you want to develop. And so it's taken time, number one. But number t two, I mean, 
we're all about being on time and, and doing what we need to do. Uh, so our kids, you know, kind of take the, our coaches' personalities on in terms of we got to work. And I like to start on time, get out on time. So let's get it ready to go. Uh, they know what we want set up. And now they don't always do it. They're kids. And sometimes they have to be redirected and re- reminded to get it set up. But I think the real key to me is to develop stations that the kids want to do well at and they want to compete at whether a coach is standing over them. So I don't ever even go to the Rap Soto station ever anymore because I can pull that data after. There's Now, it's, is it the fun funnest station to probably watch? Probably. But there's no point in me standing there because all that data is going online. We have a big TV. We bought a TV. We put it on the wall. I can see the Rap Soto from three cages over, number one. Number two, our kids know if they hit 92, they write it on a board. Uh, number three, they want to – hit the ball hard and they want to compete with our guys. If you just put a T over there, no rep soda, no pitching machine, they're going to take 75% hacks. We all know that unless they're a special athlete who really wants to always work well. They're 15 years old, 16, 17. They're not going to work their tail off without an adult or a coach there most of the time. But if you put the rep soda on or you put the radar gun on, if you're not, if you don't compete during that, you're just not, you don't have any competitive fire. So I think, number one, creating drills that will coach themselves. The blast sensor, it does take a little bit to show them how to do it. But once again, once they know how to click on the name and get it there, that's all you need to know. And then after that, they know what's good score, what's a bad score. Green's good, yellow's average, red's bad. They know to click on it and what's good. Now, they don't know it all. Sometimes a kid will say, Coach, why is my connection score still bad? I did this, and we'll make a tweak. But they usually – coach their self on that as well once you get it rolling and we anybody i've got freshmen who know how to click it change it they don't even need me anymore now it took us two or three weeks to get to that point but i just bounce around i can see the radar gun board from wherever i'm at the other day we had a guy hitting 74 that i know normally hits 88 i said what's the problem are you hurt are you not working so you can see those things and honestly that station i I firmly believe now they would screw around some but if I left the indoor cages and went outside and no coach was in there and I put somebody on the timer, we would get better work than a lot of people, even with coaches, because it's managing itself instead of just saying, let's take 30 cuts off a tee, oppo. And then they're like, oh, God. And we've done that. And, some, you know, it's like, what do we get out of that? And even when we started this, we, we were doing too many cuts off of a tee. Or we were doing longer sessions, and the kids – just try to get through it. Like I just need to get to the 12th cut or whatever. So we've cut that down, but I say, number one, make stations with limited coaches, make stations. The kids can matter manager, put a clipboard and a radar gun. You don't even have to be there. I promise you, they will try to hit it as hard as they can. If that's a goal of yours, they'll write it down. You'll get the data later. Now I will say defense is a little tougher. I think defense, you pretty much have to have a coach to manage because, you know, if you ask every kid, I think most kids love to hit. Kids, kids are always hitting at our facility. You rarely see kids taking ground balls. I mean, they do it, but it's not near as, as uh, prevalent as the offensive side of the game. So I would say uh, I would put a coach with defense always. I just think that's a, a spot they will slack off of, and it's a lot tougher to manage. I wish, I hope they create something where it will create all this data off the ground balls and when, you know, some kind of machine, which that would be awesome, but that doesn't exist as far as I know of yet. But, um, uh, so, yeah, I would say just create stations that the kids compete on. If you're not going to be there, tell them, I want a winner. I want to know 
you know, the other day on our bat speed, I said, I want to know your highest bat speed after the station. I didn't stand over there. Ended, I went and asked. They have to tell me. They're either embarrassed because they didn't swing it hard or, you know, they, they did well and they're excited about it. But they're going to, you know, and you can tell the kids, well, I think it was – well, you're only here 10 minutes. You should know what you hit. So, um, so yeah, I would make stat- stations that uh, are competitive – kids love to do that are measurable if you do those three things man i think most of the time they'll coach themselves that's awesome that's awesome and that, i think that also ties into needing a really good atmosphere uh and one that is understanding of you mentioned it way at the beginning the, the failure aspect of it the training that you have to be failing in your training to actually be able to get better in your work um how have you guys been able to create an atmosphere where you guys have freshmen that are coming on board that you're saying like, yeah, Hey, we're, uh, we're lighting this hack attack up. We're swinging hard. Yeah. You may only hit one out of five. Like, how are you getting those freshmen to buy in and understand, or maybe even a transfer in that's a junior or something like that. How are you guys getting those guys to buy into that atmosphere and this culture? Now, now I, I need you to come talk to our guys. Cause you're reiterating what I said last week about you won't need to fail in training so you're successful in the games and to get better and that that's one of the number one things that is tough for kids to understand especially kids who've been really successful it's even harder i think sometimes for the best players our best players probably get the most frustrated and mad off the pitching machines because they're used to always being successful and now man i went one for five that's not good enough and i'm like but i got it set on 95 miles an hour you know like maybe that is you know uh, a good day who knows so um so it, that is a work in progress i'll tell you two weeks no last week we had a terrible week i mean we're, we're we're not immune to having bad weeks our kids uh complained about the pitching machines uh it was moving too much it was too hard all these things you know and, and that happened and we addressed it and i told them you know that's not good enough we if you've got a problem with it let me know uh if you think it's going to hurt you or something you know if it's going to hit you let me know or something like that but as far as it being too hard, I don't want to hear that, and we need to fix it. And I had one of our leaders come up and apologize the next day because it, it's contagious, we figured out, and everybody knows this. The first cage, what happened that day, they came and told the second cage, it's running a two-seam in. You're not going to hit it. If you do hit it, it's going to hit in your leg. Well, everybody was scared to death. Well, we just wasted our time because everybody was so scared to get – and it, it, it didn't do that, but they were they thought it would um, – so the next we we about we talked about it and said the same thing you did. We've got to fail in training to be successful in games. I want the practice harder than the games every time. You know, well not every time, but most every time in the fall. Okay, so the in season depends on the team. Do you need some confidence? Those kind of things. Um, but yeah, you've got to be confident enough to get back in there. And I told them, you know, you've got to adjust your idea of success uh, based off what you're doing. Now we don't accept failure. But if you expect to hit every ball, I had the uh, spin ball 90 miles an hour with a slider and a changeup. If you expect to go 100% on that because you're used to easy BP, that, that, that's just not a realistic goal. And now you're just you're frustrated the whole time. And now we're getting you know bad at bats and bad practice habits. So I think it just takes time. You have to preach it all the time. Now, luckily, we've been doing this for years, so our kids are starting. You know, you're a freshman. You When you're a freshman, you don't know. So you see the seniors up there, your best guys up there, you know, then they figure out, okay, well, he just got out. It's okay. You know, let's go compete. It's okay. This machine's going to be throwing harder than I'm used to, or, or this, uh, 
you know, hack attacks throwing top spin ground balls and and we can't catch it right now we're going to catch it just not yet so i think it just takes time uh you know for kids to get used to that uh we are you know like i said seven years into this process and it continually changes uh if i was starting out tomorrow at a new school that hasn't trained like this i probably wouldn't go in the first day and put the machine on you know 9095 and a slider but our guys are now used to it and we had an outstanding week this week our kids were awesome uh they really uh you know we're focused this week and i think they kind of readjusted hey man i know i'm gonna miss some balls but let me go again you know and let me hit the next one so i think really yeah you just have to train that uh um you know be excited for your guys when they are successful but then also you know let them understand man like yesterday i said um you're getting six pitches off this two strike machine you can strike out twice you know four out of six so you got to put in play and that was our goal it wasn't six out of six, which your best guys sometimes think that's the goal. Well, six out of six. Well, we're all watching the World Series. I mean, you, you're, that's not going to happen. You know, at that level or any high level, um, you're going to strike out. You're going to get out. Uh, we all know that in baseball. So I think it's just a mindset you have to continually change. We have to harp on them all the time about it. Um, and we've got a great group now. And even as good as they've been, last week we just it was just a one thing went wrong. One kid said something, and it just snowballed. But then this week, nobody said anything negative. They were asking, hey, what's the machine doing in a way to learn? Hey, what's well, throwing this right here? You know, you got to do this. It's throwing a, a changeup that's dirty, but you can hit it if you do this. And then they, they were trying to learn instead of trying to instill fear. And, you know, well, you, you can't hit the. I hate when somebody says, you can't hit this guy or you can't hit this machine. That's one of my pet peeves. Like, do not say that. Do not say that. Because then now nobody thinks they can hit it. So, uh, so yeah, I think it just takes time, and you gotta you've got to stay on them now. Like I said, if you showed up to m- next Monday, it could be outstanding, but you could also hear our guys, you know, start to complain, and we try to shut that off as quick as we can and and readjust. And you know, the machine was probably a little out of control, so I made some adjustments and moved the plate up and still increased the velocity without, you know, um, you know, getting balls all over the place and. They felt a little more confident. So you just got to keep adjusting. Now, next week, I'm going to make it more difficult because I heard our guys say, you know, it was uh, the machine was a lot easier today on the spin ball. So I'm like, well, it's supposed to be because we've seen it again. So now I've got to, you know, amp it up because that's what I want to hear. Uh, so, yeah, that's kind of what you got to do. I think you just got to keep on, keep at them and, uh, you know, let them know it's okay to fail in training. You know, there's a guy in Texas, I don't know how, uh, a high school coach, uh, I hear him talk on Twitter. And I think he talks at training in the, uh, Training in the jungle to prepare for the zoo or vice versa. You know, like I tiger, tiger it. zoo jungle, uh, uh, yeah, zoo, so, zoo jungle or zoo tiger jungle tiger. The difference between yeah, the two. I'll, I'll get it. I get it. I get it confused which one's which, but I know the know what it means. So yeah, that's what we're trying to do. Uh, you know, is is train differently, and then you get in the game, and now uh, you're prepared for all this different stuff, and uh, and hopefully handle some failure. You know, less failure hopefully, but. Uh, but yeah, I think it's just a process, man. The idea that you said we don't accept failure, I say a lot, but then I add in, we need to be able to understand it and understand why we're failing. And that ties into what you were saying that as long as we're learning, it's good. I've brought up the idea to some of my guys. Um, if we were to take a calc test in one month, would you rather me give you one plus one and two plus two homework for the next mm-hmm. month that you can get a hundred percent on, but when it comes test time, we don't know. Or would you oh, rather yeah. me give you calc homework for this next month, 
not going to get a hundred. We're going to struggle. Oh, yeah. but you're going to be way more comfortable when you're taking the calc test because you've seen it. You know what it looks like. It's a little bit more uh, familiar. That's kinda... I, may, I may have to. I may have to use that analogy next week. So I'm always looking for uh, ways to get it across. But that that's a great analogy there. So I may have to uh, throw that in there next Monday. Hey, whatever you need, baby. Whatever <laughs> you need. I give. Um. Last. Uh. Oh, I guess that did kind of guy. Oh. Um. So you brought up Kai Correa. Uh, I actually played yeah. for him at uh, Northern Colorado. Really? Yeah. So uh, nice. be- before he yeah. joined up with the Indians in their uh, minor league uh, fielding department, he was with Northern Colorado. Uh, I was with him for a little bit out there. So a lot of my wow. infield stuff I actually take uh, from Kai. Um, I do a weekly Glove Gods uh, class with a gentleman that also has done camps uh numerous camps with Kai. So a lot of the infield that we instill in that group, uh, a lot of it comes from him. He does a great job. Yeah, he, he's outstanding, man. I've heard him speak. I, we don't know each other, but, of course, I know him off. Uh, anytime something happens that we're trying to learn something infield, I'll, I'll go to Twitter, find his profile, see if he's tweeted about it, search him, because I know him and uh, Tucker, I think it's Tucker Frawley, or that was at uh, Yale. They did a speech a few years ago, and it was just outstanding, man, the, the, the stuff, if you can go back and watch that, if anybody wants to watch that, the ABCA was outstanding on infield play. I mean, honestly, there's so much stuff he went over. I mean, we're we're behind, not even close to where we need to be once you hear him talk. It's insane, the, the stuff that he's been able to do. And just looking into the little things, like you brought up the, the spin rate off of the bat, going from fungos to actual game, how different they are, which changes how much we we go about it. And you were bringing up that one of your really good players that when you first saying like, hey, you know, we're not actually getting these types of ground balls in a game. Um, for them to kind of like sit there and realize that and to understand, like you said earlier, sometimes it's the players that are the best ones that struggle a little bit with failure because their uh, perspective, I think, of failure is different than others. For the really good player, failure is something that's super bad. And so when they encounter that during training, they're not they're not doing well. They're being they're bad player right there. Where I feel the player that uh, isn't as good and understands the process of learning and the development, I think their idea of failure is a little bit different because they've experienced it a little bit more in game and understand that it's a little bit different in a training environment. Um, and so just the things that he's been able to do, uh, with the infield like that, uh, it's been pretty special. Um, he, he's a really good guy, uh, to kind of lean into that a little bit. Do you have any other people on Twitter that you go to any other YouTube channels, books, podcasts that you listen to anybody that you would like to kind of give a little shout out to, uh, for the followers? Man, you know, I just, I follow a lot of people on Twitter, but I don't, you know, I try to find little tidbits like you do, I think, with everybody, you know, anybody you can find. So Kai Correa is a great one. Uh, you know, I follow Chad Longworth, uh, all the uh, driveline guys, call body. Uh, he doesn't put as much stuff out as, as self now than before when he went to MLB, uh, but his people do, you know. So I follow those guys for pitching. All their hitting coordinators, I don't even know all their names. I just follow all those guys. So I'm not a guy that's just a groupie of any one guy, you know, I guess on Twitter. Uh and, you know, I, I hate to say this because I'm on a podcast, but I, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. My assistant coach listens to them all the time. I've just never been able to get into them. When I, you know, when I cut grass, I listen to, uh, you know, 
music and he's like, you need to listen to these podcasts. And uh, I just haven't gotten into them as much. Uh, he's probably the guy to answer that question. But I would say, man, just follow as many different people on Twitter as you can and different, you know, uh, perspectives. Cause you know, everybody has their way of doing things on, you know, Twitter or wherever, but I'm a big Twitter guy and I just like to see what other people do. And, you know, everything I've told you today, I've basically stolen from somebody else and tweaked it to fit our program and compared it or to somebody else and see if we need to make changes or add stuff or take away stuff. So, um, yeah, man, I, I, I'm not here to plug anybody. You know, I, I think there are, there's so many good resources. I mean, Butch Chaffin from uh, Cookville, Tennessee, he's a high school coach, and, man, he puts out some funny stuff and some good stuff. And uh, he's more of an old-school guy probably, I, I, you know, I would think. But there's some great guys in Alabama. Uh, you know, uh, West Brooks at Oxford High School puts out some great stuff. Uh, you know, there are just so many guys who – will share their information you know which is which is awesome as a baseball guys you can just learn so much so i'd say follow as many different viewpoints as you can i try not to get in arguments or discussions on twitter very often because it just always goes off the rails you know so i just kind of bring in the information research it send it to my coaches see if they you know what we all think like right now we're looking you know the big thing for us right now is shift shifting uh you know we don't have the data that they do in in pros but you know, we're, we're looking into shifting more because there's a reason all the pros do it. So we're, we're trying to gather some data on that and how much they shift, why they shift, uh, when they shift. Um, of course, it works or they wouldn't keep doing it all the teams, even though, you know, people only see when it doesn't work. So, uh, so yeah, we're just pulling all kind of information. I mean, yesterday I was just I was just searching, you know, whatever I want to search. I was searching shift data for Major League Baseball and going through it. So, uh, but, yeah, so – I'm more of a Twitter guy than anything, probably. And, you know, and if I find a video, you know, I just go watch it. But really, driveline guys, we, we do a lot of the driveline stuff. Uh, Kai for infield, Tucker for Ollie is great. Um, I love following high school guys because it's relevant to me. Um, you know, um, Iowa, I think it's Iowa's analytics department, Iowa baseball. They're really good on the tech department side of it. Um, we, as far as strength goes, we follow, uh, or we're big on Zach the, the chant, I guess as you say it, out of TCU, their baseball. Yep. Uh, strength coach, uh, movement over maxes, you know, so we do a lot of his stuff, uh, his books, uh, you know, movement over maxes kind of design what we kind of do. We of course took it and tweaked it. Uh, so there's just so many good guys out there that, I mean, I think you just got to be open-minded and, you know, when I started 14 years ago, we were teaching hit the top half of the ball. And if we hit a fly, fly ball in a game or practice, we were mad. And, you know, now I'm like, the opposite of that you know and uh so i think you've got to be be able to evolve and you know i want to see data and why is this how it is and you know why is this why you're doing something and if you can prove that to me i'm definitely open-minded so, but i think you have to be open-minded there's a lot of guys yelling at the old guys yelling at clouds about the shift and yelling about you know all these different things well you know let's figure out if it works and if it can help you win then why would you not do that whether that you know i like I heard something, you know, somebody hit a ball last night and it's former pro guys and they're like, well, that ball, you know, he, he didn't do any launch angle on that home run. And I'm like, well, he it had a launch angle, you know, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, so stuff like that, I'm like, come on. But there's so many people who uh, I think are set in their ways. And I just think you, if you're not, if you're doing the same thing you were 10 years ago or thinking the same, it's probably – uh, time to, to reevaluate some things. And I've changed tremendously. I know in 13 years, but in, you know, looking back at what we were doing five years ago, we, our weight program was different. Our, um, you know, the way we train uh, throwing, we used to throw a lot more. 
you know, and we tweak that down in what we do in terms of pull downs and the weighted ball sizes we use. And like drive on baseball does, they do something, they check it, they test it. Did it work? No. Okay. Let's crash it. If it did, let's keep going. Uh, and that's kind of what we try to do. So I think just be open-minded, man, follow as many people as you can on Twitter, podcast, Hopefully, you know, I'll listen to some when we go into ABCA and stuff and watch some old videos. Try to get one or two things. If you get that, I think, you know, if somebody can listen to this, hopefully find one thing, uh, you know, to help them out. I think that's a that's that's a, a plus for you. Uh, are you bringing up the XMLB thing because you saw my kind of semi-rant last night? Or are you just pulling that out because that's what every baseball player no, I, that has I, a I, mind is thinking as well? I'll be honest. I didn't see that. Uh, I don't know. I'm a Braves fan. So if you did it after it, it went downhill in a hurry, so I might've already <laughs> tuned out, uh, baseball at, at that point. So, um, I didn't see that, but I mean, I know it's, you've got two groups of people, the guys yelling at the clouds about launch angle and, uh, you know, and the shift and, you know, it's ruining baseball and all this. So I didn't see it, but I'll have to go back and read it. And, uh, I guess I stole your, what you said last night, but I think you just, mm-hmm. I just don't understand one of these guys are so set and uh, uh, in acting like they hate the game. Like, uh, you know, it is what it is. Let's let's adjust and, and see if it works. Oh, you didn't steal anybody's anybody's thought. <laughs> you just said out loud what every baseball player with a mind is saying. Alex Rodriguez, I have uh, – last week, and this was just reiterating, he literally said that someone has an anti-launch angle swing. Oh, I don't. <laughs> I don't even know what that well, means. That, that, <laughs> I mean, well, does he not hit the ball then? So, so as soon as someone says something about that, or you know, didn't have an exit velocity, like okay, that's just a metric. I mean, nobody has a launch angle swing. Now we want to hit it. I mean, we've got strings in our cages that we're trying to hit. That you know, the poor man version, and then. Uh, of course, we have the rap soto as well, but the you know we've got strings at certain degrees that we look. But you know we're not training a launch angle swing, but we just know. I mean, if if you get the best results at a certain angle, why would you not try to train to hit it at that angle? Uh, so now, I don't want a guy hitting it at forty degrees that weighs one hundred and twelve pounds. You know, so you know, but we never come in and say we're training launching, and we'll play teams in high school that know what we do because we tweet a lot out, and they'll give us heck about launch angle and exit velocity and that, that's fine you know i get it so it, it's all fun and games but uh you know we just if it if you hit the ball harder that's always a plus so i don't know why you'd be mad at exit velocity and if you you know hit the ball at the optimal angle whatever you think that is based off data then you know i mean my guy hit a ball yesterday like 112 miles an hour but it went like literally negative 40 to hit the ground right i mean that's not a plus. So like we got to, you know, if he'd have hit it in the air just a little, it'd have been out of there. So, um, yeah, I think some of these people are just like a rod is not the best at, you know, uh, uh, I guess saying what, I guess he's saying what he wants to say. So, uh, and then of course it's confirmation bias to them. Like when they saw the guy last night beat the shift with a little, you know, dinker to a second base. And then they're like, well, that's uh that, there you go right there. They, that's, that's an anti shift swing. And, he didn't even have – I saw one tweet. It might have been A-Rod said, he, they scored three runs and not even with high exit velocity. And I'm like, I mean, that's baseball, though. That's going to happen, you know. you know. So, anyway, uh, 
I don't want to get off on that tangent. I guess you already did <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> no, it's just a, it's an everyday thing when I go on and I just listen to Alex Rodriguez uh, saying these kinds of things to the people that are watching the World Series, trying to grow the game of baseball, and yet they're just absolutely oh, yeah. like demising what everything has like been done the last little bit. Like all the teams that are in the postseason yeah. are the top home run or top uh, slugging or top on base play. Like all the things that they're like nitpicking on, they're. It, it is what it is. Well, I, I read a good article. Article. I don't know if you saw the article. It was a, uh, a tweet, but then an article from Baseball America today, and it was basically saying, you know, these people keep – it was about the shift, but, you know, if if all the Major League Baseball teams are doing something and these front office people have decided to do this with their job on the line, do you think they're wrong or you're wrong in your opinion that it's bad? You know, like, you know, these people are getting paid a lot of money to make these decisions – you may not like the looks of it, and that's totally your opinion. And, you know, maybe they should ban the shift. That's irrelevant. But if the shift's there, it's clearly used for a reason. So, like, and it literally said in the article, like, do you think you're right and all 30 major league teams are incorrect? Like, that would seem odd for anybody, you know. So uh, it was a great article. I don't even know who wrote it. But uh, I think that's uh, that's where, you know, if everybody's doing something and you're not, I mean, you're probably – uh, probably not correct in my opinion, but you know, who knows? Um, just to add into a little bit of what you said earlier so far, I've gone, I've done kind of a, uh, a survey with a lot of my guys where I've asked if you were the person fielding, would you rather field an absolute piss missile ground ball or would you rather field the rollover? <laughs> they go, well, the rollover. Oh yeah. Okay. Would you rather get the line drive that's knuckling at you or the little kind of like yeah. me? Like, well, the little, little bleed. I go, okay. When yeah. you're catching a flop, pop fly, would you rather get the one uh, over the lights or are you just trying to get the little bull? And they're like, well, the little. I was like, hey, you realize how you wanted all of the weak contact, soft hit results. Now, whether we're shooting for a, a ground ball or a line drive or a pop yeah. fly, whatever it is, if you hit it hard, it's better than if you oh, don't. Yeah. And it, yep. it's just that idea, but I don't want to keep you too long. It looks like uh, we're kind of coming up to that time. I really appreciate you coming on. I apologize for the little uh, issue that we had this morning, um, but being nah, able to good, schedule man. it. Man, I appreciate you having me on, Connor. I hate you had to get up so early and uh, I was just sitting around. So <laughs> hopefully you got some stuff accomplished though. So, oh, uh, yeah. but man, I appreciate you having me. Uh, anytime you want me on, man, I'd love to come back. Uh, I enjoy talking baseball and, you know, it's just what we do, and, you know, maybe you're right. Some of it's good. Some of it's bad. It works for us, and our kids seem to enjoy the environment and atmosphere we have. So, um, But, like I said, we're always making changes. If anybody has any ideas how to make it better, I'd love to know and uh, so we can continue to improve with our guys. And that's the biggest thing, man, is just wanting to get better. It's not saying our way or your way or anyone else's way is the right way. It's just wanting to get better for the same reasons for the kids. So I appreciate it, man. And we're going to be having you on as much as uh, I can have you on because this was an amazing uh, conversation. Anytime, Connor, man. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you.